Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 84 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 19, Chapter 6, That's My King. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Good morning, class, Bible students of the Word of God. You know, I love, isn't it nice having your name associated with God and His kingdom? Isn't that wonderful? Just to know that He allows us to be bold in our declaration of being His children. As we move on this morning, I have, you know, we're doing the book of Revelation here that we see it's the four horsemen. You know, the white horse, the first horse. We got a red, we got a black, we got a green or a livid horse, it's called. And this is what we've been talking about centering on here the last, I think it's been over once or twice we've been speaking about these horsemen. But I want to share something with us as we begin. And I want to, there again, I got to do a quick teaching to end up where I want to end up today. But to begin, I want us to, we're doing a book. We're teaching, we're talking about the Bible here, the written Word of God. But the written Word of God has a spiritual element to it that the world doesn't comprehend. And that spiritual element of this book is God, we say that God breathes upon His Word. And so why do we use the phrase God breathes upon His Word? Because we know that breath signifies life. It's not to be necessarily like an allegory or just a symbol. This is real. (laughs) The breath of God's real. And when we were all born again, you can ask what happened to us. And what happened to us was the breath of God was released in our life. And we got the natural breath, but then we got the supernatural breath of God that we go through the, we've been born of water, but then we're born of the Spirit. When the breath of God, and like when we were praying from these from Singapore, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke through prophetic words that what happens in those instances is there's more got transferred to them than you can see. And it's done via, if you will, the breath of God. If what we're saying is of God, it has the breath of God on it. And it's it's the breath of God that penetrates the heart of man. It's the carrier, if you will. It's the Now, with that in mind, I want us to look into it just a little deeper as we begin more into the teaching of the book of Revelation, that we understand that without the breath of God, it makes no sense. Yahweh, you've heard that term, and which means breath of God, right? And so we know that one of the names of God was Yahweh, is one of the major. Actually, Israel wouldn't even pronounce the name. But there's a reason. A lot of people say, well, I'm thinking, well, it's the name of God was so reverent. They were being so reverent that they would not say the name of God as of Yahweh. And that is a true element, but that's more on the religious side of why they wouldn't say the name of God. So go with me here just a second. This is more prophetic than anything. As we get to the white horse in Revelation, at the end of the four horsemen, I'm going to skip some of the what we call the parentheses in Revelation and get into other things. But here I want us to see, you do not use your tongue or your lips when speaking it. So what one of the things was in saying Yahweh that the Jews would say, but you can't use your tongue or your lips, so therefore they wouldn't say it because it was they weren't supposed to use their tongue or lips in saying His name of God. Translated, I am, Yahweh is our most sacred name for God. Now watch this. Consider so sacred people refrain from its use, though they proclaim it with each breath. It's the breath of God. And it goes like this. Taking a breath, notice the sound of inhale and exhale. 
You can't use your tongue. You can't use your lips. Why? It was showing it was the very breath of God. That's the reason they said when it was translated into to use words, it was Yahweh. But it was never to be pronounced using your tongue or your lips. And so the Jews had, they decided in their religion, the religious side of them said, we will not say the name Yahweh. Why? Because it was the very breath of God. So when we see that and that it's Yahweh, the breath of God, it's the breath of God in this life. I had a dream once, and back when I was told I had three to six months to live, and in this dream, I asked the angel of the Lord, I said, how will I know when I'm dead? I know it sounds crazy, but when you're in those situations, you say, you ask crazy things. And I asked the angel, I said, how will I know when I'm dead? And this is what he said to me. You just will not have the need to breathe. The angel said, I said, what? He said, that's the only thing you'll notice is you don't have the need to breathe. At the time, it was a little comforting. I don't know if it feels too good right now. So, so we have the, the breath of God. And so as we're looking at scriptures, and that's the reason we say this is the written word of God, but when God breathes on it, it turns spirit, and then it goes in us. And what makes us different than the world is we have God in us. We have the word of God in us. So the more we get the word in us, the more of the spiritual breath of life you have in you, so you become more alive. I uh, I've seen several people who talk uh, that they've, they've said that they've died and then they came back. And, and without a doubt, a lot of the times, most of the times really, I heard the testimonies in these things and these people and they would say, I didn't understand it because when I died, I never felt more alive. It was the most I ever felt alive. And then when I came back, I didn't feel as alive because I was associated in the body. So God gives us the breath of, he gives us this breath of life now. And the only thing that probably, the only distinction we have between now and we leave the body is this need to breathe. So that means we've got all these faculties up, still up and running. The physical body has the need to breathe. The spirit and soul does not. So the only difference I submit to you to test, the only difference is we will not have the need to breathe. Okay, so everybody's got Yahweh down, the breath of God. And it's important that this happens on his word. Now I'm going to transition real quickly from that spiritual to information that is about, we're talking about uh, Revelation chapter six, the four horsemen, and what will happen when these horsemen are released and when the tri tribulation begins is that breath of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is another rendering of the breath of God. It's his spirit. We know will be somewhat removed from the earth. One thing that makes the earth so catastrophic is the lack of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And everybody agrees that the presence of the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth, but everyone doesn't connect the dots is the reason it's gone is because the church is gone. Just a little thought there, that's, but that's what's happening. So let's go into quickly here, I wanna change scenes here back into Revelation chapter six to go with our teaching. This is the mother load of terrorism. Now we know today that we see a lot of the, you're all versed here, you're a prophetic group, and you're all well versed on what's happening in the world today. We have what we call the global elite and the globalist agendas that we see happening. The belief that knowledge is the true God of the globe, the God calls for the depopulation of planet Earth or the deplorables. 
This is to purify the human race and create a superhuman race. We know that's the idea behind the globalist elite. Now, it's the same thing that was driving Hitler. It's no different. We're just in a now more contemporary setting. Same, the enemy has the same ploy. He has the same goal, but it's done in a grander scale. Because Hitler was wanting, and his idea was to control the earth, right? He had the big cheese. He was going to, to control it all to create a superhuman race. Same thing's happening now absolutely no difference. It's the same thing of the Antichrist. And what happens with the spirit of Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist is all, every generation, we were at least every 50 to 100 years, he is then launching out again a fresh plan, just like the last one, so he can be ready. One way this is accomplished is through uh, genetically modifying things genetically modifying organisms. And organisms is anything, it can be animal, plants, uh, cells type organisms. Now, here's a quote from researchers have found many favorable properties of GMO foods. Our rapidly growing world populations have necessitated the development of a technology that is able to manufacture an adequate supply of food and in one turn minimize our carbon footprint. I had a picture that I was gonna put up there and I thought, Alan, that's a little mean. So I, I didn't put it up. But I guess I'm still going to be guilty because I'm going to tell you about it. But it was a picture of an electric car pulled up to an electric plug-in, you know, but it was run by a diesel generator. Now you think I'm kidding. They're all over the planet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, how ridiculous. And I can even see how that could be beneficial. But to think you're helping your carbon footprint and actually, what when I, I got ready to put it up there, I'll, I'll be this honest with you. The Holy Ghost said, well, Alan, you do the same things in other areas. And I said, I'm down, Lord, I'm down. Okay, I get it. You know, it's amazing. You can tell when you're pointing your finger a little too much. Are y'all like that? I mean, you know it's wrong. You know it's evil. And then you start pushing. And then the Holy Ghost always said, well, what about you, you know? What about Bob? Or, or, uh, this revolutionary technology has resulted in GMO foods, such as soybeans, corn, potatoes, which now have an increased herbicide tolerance and resistance to insects. Now, you know, mankind, uh, and I've told you this, I think, last week, when I used to spray insecticides on crops, was to kill bugs, we used to spray what was called uh, skull and crossbones. You had that, which was a very dangerous uh, type uh, insecticides. And so everybody didn't want their foods to be sprayed. And so then the scientists then start developing GMOs. So you change certain proteins and things in the element of the soybean, corn, whatever. And so that a bug doesn't like to eat the grain. That seems much better than a skull and crossbones. But the truth is we don't know the end results of this. You see what I'm saying? I, I keep looking at my fingers hoping I don't grow in near corn or something, but we, we, we actually do not know what this equals. You see, there's, there's not been a sufficient research. So really and truly what's happening is today, where I think science is really losing a grip on its calling, is if you have a thought, you just do it. It doesn't, and that same thing's happened with some of our vaccines and things. That things are released without the science proving what needs. So all of a sudden, if you think it, do it. And if, but if you think about it, that's the generations in which we live. If you think it, do it. No consequences, right? So that what happens with that type of thinking is you're taking yourself on as a god. You have no consequences. What I'm thinking is perfect, and I'm just going to do it. And there's no consequences. So here we go. And so when you see medicine done like that, or science done like that then it causes some concern. And of course, the idea is, well, the end result is worth it. 
I mean, I give, I give vaccines to cattle, have my whole life. And to be very honest with you, it'd be hard to have a congregation of a thousand animals without vaccines. Because anytime you get a lot of people or cows or anything together in one place, viruses tend to thrive unless there's uh, some immunity. And you, you've heard the terminology herd immunity. Well, the, when I give vaccines, it's, I mean, it says it on the vaccine, it says uh, within a hundred animals, one will die and three will be sick. So then that pretty much, you might have sometimes 200, no deaths, but it's very common. So you vaccine 100 animals, you go out in the morning, one's late and they're dead, a couple of them sick. You're like, yeah, I, I knew that was going to happen. And that's normal, but you're saying that it's worth, the chance is worth it because of the gain, right? I'm willing to lose. And that's generally the way vaccines work. And then as, it, as this last vaccine thing we went through, and I'm just being honest with you, and everybody was saying, well, this person got sick and that one, I'm like, well, yeah, we were expecting that. That's, that's right. Vaccines aren't perfect. They're just not. On a good day, they're not. Polio vaccine, a lot of people got polio, right? So vaccines, the idea, the thinking behind it is that 98 or 7 of them will be healthy and will not get the disease, and even though we realize we're going to lose a few. And so you got to understand that's just the thinking behind vaccines. Well, when it comes to humans, we like to, everybody's looking for 100% vaccine. And it was even said, when you get this, you take this vaccine, you won't get it. And I'm like, I'm just a dumb farmer. And I know better than this. I can talk to Trevor about it. Like, so therefore, we have to be careful when we're trying to demonize it. And also, it was pitched from the platform that if you, if you take it, you won't get it. And uh, I'm like, boy, this is some bad sales. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, what works best is the truth. And so therefore, we're now in a world where the vaccines, I think, have probably even been demonized far beyond what they should have been. Because you're taking a, we're, oh, life's a risk. <laughs> so anyway. And I know all of the theories and behind, you know, all of this. And uh, I will not get into that today, lest God does jerk my chain. But anyway, the GMO foods and things, I just want us to see that, that it's, we're messing in a science that we, that I think we're, the technology and releasing the technology is way too fast. Even today, if I plant corn on my little farm or soybeans, when I buy the seed at from three to $500 a bag, you buy corn seed today by the kernel. You buy a bag, but it has the seeds counted, and you're paying so much a seed. And so I can get a pallet of corn seed, and it'll be between thirty dollars and $40,000 for a pallet of corn seed. Now, when I buy that pallet of corn seed and plant it, I don't own it because I have to sign a paper saying I will not replant that seed because Monsanto owns the offsprings of that seed. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So they're just letting me use it for a crop for thirty or $40,000. And what they're protecting, though, is their technology in the seed. You see, that's what they're protecting is the technology in the seed. It doesn't work well with corn to replant it anyway because now they have a termination gene in there. It'll actually terminate the germination. Oh my. Yeah, a lot of your seed that you get today has a termination gene in it that'll actually kill germination if you try to replant it. It'll plant one time and grow and do great, but it won't do it the second time. I just thought you might want to know that. I mean, if you eat food with a Terminator gene, and it doesn't sound cool to me. <laughs> it just doesn't, just doesn't. They need to, I thought they sure could have used a better name than, but that's what they named it, Terminator gene. Yeah, well, very good. Here's our doctor said, good thing is you can only eat it once. 
So I feel much better now, Trevor. Thank you very much. So here, for the potential for reduced use of chemicals on uh, insect-resistant plants would result in healthier foods for consumers. Now, what happens with insects, as well with viruses, they tend to evolve beyond the insecticide. In other words, you can have a, a gene that'll keep an insect from eating it. When I plant corn, I've said this before, I'll plant 10 rows, but two rows have to be what you call heirloom. They have no genetic modification in them whatsoever. So when I plant 10 rows, two rows are the old corn, eight rows are GMO. And the idea is, is that the insects, and they will, they'll go to those two rows and they'll eat the corn. They'll about halfway destroy it because you just let them all gang up on two rows. But the idea is, with the GMO you know, thinking, is that they don't want the insects to create a resistance against the GMO. But it, it's amazing. So in three or four years, if, they, if you don't do that, then their technology won't work, you see, because the insects have... Same way with the virus. That's the reason there's mutations. Uh, my concern about the COVID one was it's going to mutate faster than they can get a vaccine out. And a lot of people say, well, it doesn't work. And yada, yada. I mean, no kidding. I mean, it's because the mutation of it so fast. You, it takes a little while even to create a vaccine and, and nonetheless test it. If you did a testing on vaccines today with COVID, it was mutating so fast you wouldn't have a chance. So what they did, they'd create it and throw it out there and there's mutation. And then we got this right. Now we've got this virus. Now we've got the, you know, the whatever virus. And it's all, but there's mutations comes out of viruses. So I don't care how smart we think we are. These, uh, whether it be with insects or whether it be with plants. And so that's insecticides. Herbicides, that's where you kill weeds. Uh, like Roundup. Anybody done Roundup? Roundup, I think, has got, in all honesty, personally, I think it's got a real bad rap. It's probably the safest herbicide out there, even though Robert Kennedy doesn't agree with me. But he's going to call me about it, I, I, I think. Now, many organizations have expressed concerns in the terms of the effect of the ecosystems, human health, in particular the unknown risk that researchers has yet to uncover. So my concern in all of this, viruses, insecticides, herbicides, inoculants, whatever, is that we're living in a day that everything is escalated. In other words, everything's moving so fast. But it also is in the world of the ecosystem, the natural world, the, if you want to call it the natural God's world or whatever. Everything is moving as fast as man thinks he is. It's amazing to me how these viruses, these weeds, these insects, they can still outrun us. Man's under this idea through science will create all this stuff and will create a world of utopia. That's the ideology behind the New World Order, globalism. The ideology behind all of that is we're going to create this perfect world. That's the idea, which is the spirit of the Antichrist. And that's the reason you have all of this, you know, stuff on global warming and, and all of that. Now, do I think that everything has its place? I kind of do. I'll say this. I believe electric cars have a place. I, I believe that. But to believe that they're the savior of the world, I think, is carried a little too far because you're going to have to carry around an electric generator with you if you're going to go there. And there's something about that appears to me to be counterproductive. But I'm just an, an old country boy. Now, there is also a potential for mutations arising in GMOs and other concerns, the lack of GMO labeling on food products. Now, this is a huge concern. A lot of people are eating GMO corn and products. Now, I, I would imagine, I've seen the figures, but I'm sure it's over 90% of all corn in the United States, or it's grown today in the world's GMO. Uh, another concern is the lack of GMO labeling on food products, which inhibits the monitoring of its potential negative health effects. There again, for research reasons, I'm like, well, how are you tracking this thing? How are you building your research on how this is okay? Or I mean, so the, the lack of labeling, you can do it on a small lab scale, but something like this needs to be done on a bigger scale. 
And so anyway, I'm not trying to make too much of that, but I do think it has something to do with this green horse and the famines in, in the land. And famine, we think, is created by drought or by floods, but most famines are man-made, no matter what the famine. And you can, it doesn't have just to be food, but most famines in the land are ultimately man-made. Now, I'm, I'll show you something real quickly, and I'm going to run out of time here, but I am now trying to make an appeal to the graciousness of your heart. Save a chicken. Now, as ludicrous as that might sound, that is what's going on from a scientific community today. Save a chicken. You know, say, it, it's, it's so funny to me. I, I'll go to the grocery store, and I'll go get me uh, some bacon, which is, has, a, it has a little cardboard, but a lot of it's plastic. You open it up, it's in a plastic sleeve, and get a loaf of bread, and it's wrapped in plastic. And get a carton of milk, and it's a ju plastic jug of milk. And uh, I don't care what you get in the grocery store. It's wrapped, and it's got some amount of plastic. And then I go to checkout, and they put it in a bag that's biodegradable. And I'm supposed to feel good about myself. I have now saved the planet. I'm like, it's so much done that's really and truly, I know when somebody's trying to play a mind game on me. That's part of my problem. I can feel it. And so, and I give, I point out that one little illustration of how ridiculous it is to put it in a biodegradable bag when everything is, that in it's, it's not. So I think I have pride, and I'll tell you why. It offends me that somebody thinks I'm that stupid. That's, that's what it is. It must be pride in me. I, I don't know, but it does offend me. So I'm going to get into this save a chicken thing and uh, eat lab-grown chicken nuggets. Now, I hate to tell you, some of you probably already have and don't know it, but there are some people in, there's a few in our legislative arm that's trying to point these things out. It's just, it's, there is, part of our concern is when corporate marries into our political structure because then the corporate, the corporate structure dictates the political structure. And so that's what you have now with these lab-grown meats is because the corporate side has now pushing the political side and makes it possible. That's the reason with a lot of the GMOs, the food, they don't have to be, there's no labeling for it. And, you know, you got labeling for everything else in the world. Well, why do we stop the labeling now? And, part, and then, to me, this is very, very deceptive. But for us to not, to even consider that our faith and our Christianity, the same thing's happening to our faith. Can you feel it? right? It's being misrepresented. It's being done away with. It's being pushed out. We're not in a healthy environment for Christianity. We're still probably healthier than much of the world, but still yet our once, the healthy atmosphere we once enjoyed is, it appears to be somewhat fading. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not effective. God doesn't always work with big numbers. Matter of fact, if you got too many, he'll send half of you home. And then he'll say, now let's fight. You know, he, he just wants everybody to make sure that he knows it's God doing it. So the number thing is, does it make a big deal? But it is important that those of us that remain and we're healthy and we're loud. That's all. We're healthy. We're loud. In other words, we are, we are shouting from the rooftops. You know, God, we, speaking of that, we got a new speaker of the house. I don't know if anybody knows. He's going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm telling you right now, if you could throw a man out for being Christian, he should be first on their list. And in all honesty, there's no way. And they're trying. <laughs> That's right. And, but there's no way that guy could be there if it, unless it was God. There is absolutely no way. And so when he got in, I was sitting there, I'm like, God, you are, you're amazing because nobody there wasn't a prophet anywhere that I know of prophesied it. And for sure, we can do the math on it, and he still shouldn't be there. 
Yeah, no, most people never heard of the guy. And the first thing he done when they elected him and put him in was he got on his knees right there in front of God and everybody and started praying. And a half a dozen others went up there and joined him. I saw him interviewed this past week in this one interview. He said, uh, well, people's not heard of you. We want to know what you believe. He said, well, that's easy. If you got a Bible, he said, read the Bible and you'll know who I am. That was his answer. He said, next question. <laughs> and I thought, he hadn't been eating no GMO. Now, <laughs> now look, his brain's working good. Now, when we, when we get into this and understanding what's happening here, now we have actually got, in this 20 after 10, I'm not going to get to where I was going. Still save my video till next week. This will be our third week. Can cultivated meat be truly slaughtered free? Oh, meat thinks so. Now, most of this information comes off of a website of a company that sells saved chicken. What was once the stuff of science fiction is finally moving closer to our dinner plates. So we're talking about lab-grown meat, foods like chicken nuggets and bluefin tuna grown from animal cells instead of killing an animal. Now you see how they put in there, we're going to grow it instead of killing an animal. This, is, this comes out of your PETA and all of these. The PETA, save an animal, all of that stuff. I'm, I'm not for being abusive to animals, but I'm also not for being abusive to people. But that's the reason the PETA and a lot of these organizations out there under the animal protection policies has been set in motion 15 years ago, 20 years ago, for where we're headed. There are now 156 companies working on the proteins now approved for sale as cell, what they're calling cell cultivated. In the past year, the Food and Drug Administration gave the green light this is your government, gave the green light to two companies, Upside Foods and Good Meats, you can look them up, both of which have now received USDA clearance to sell cultivated meat in the U.S. Now you've got to understand something. As of now, my understanding is it doesn't have to be labeled as so. And you got to label if it's from another country, but you don't, we can see where the, we got a breach here, right? We got a little breach here. What is lab-grown meat? And this is by their definition. This was taken off of one of those two companies' web website. I forget which one I got it from. The term lab-grown has been widely criticized for the cultivated meat industry. After all, everything from corn, sesame seeds for humans are tinkered with by the food scientists in a lab. But what exactly is it? Now, there again, this is not my words. This is their words. How is lab-grown meat different from plant-based meat? So they're saying that a fish or a chicken or a cow, they're calling it plant-based meat is what they're saying. Unlike conventional meat, which is produced by uh, rising, uh, raising and slaughtering farm animals, typically packed together on crowded industrial operations. Sounds a little woke to me. Lab-grown meat or cultivated meat is meat grown from cells. It's different from plant-based meat, which contains no foods from animals, deriving its protein solely from plants, typically pea or soy protein. You're supposed to make you feel better there. Now here we have lab-grown meat. Which that's a piece of chicken there. I just got a few minutes. But in the lab-grown meat, you take cells from a, from a cow or a chicken or whatever, and you put it and you feed it to slimy stuff. See, they don't show you any of the stuff. I mean, the cells have to grow somehow. So it still takes a protein to do that. And it looks like a slimy mess to me. And uh, so instead of feeding that to a cow, they let the cells, and then they build, they build what to call a scaffold. It's a little scaffolding thing they'll put in, in that dish or whatever. So as the meat grows, it'll hang on to the scaffold. Then the scaffold disintegrates. And then when you get it, it looks like a piece of chicken breast. Y'all don't look happy. <laughs> you see, or a T-bone steak. But it's been, the bone's been taken out, of course. 
So that is a lab going, if, you, if you're interested in it, there's a lot you can research and see on that. But in other, in, they're actually building a plant down in the other side of Charlotte. It's being built now. God has a lab-grown meat called a cow. God created the animals and the cow. Uh, a cow, if you will, is just a processing plant. That's, that's what it is. I milk cows. And I put, the idea with a cow is you grind up a corn stalk and all, the ear corn, stalk, you feed hay. The idea of a cow is it's a processing plant that God gave us. You put this stuff in a cow that humans can't eat. You can't eat silage. You can't eat hay. You can't eat all this roughage. So you put it in a cow, a cow processes it into two things. Well, three things as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Basically two things. One is milk, which humans can drink. It's a great protein source. And you've noticed over the last 10, 15 years, milk has been demonized from every area. You can't, and, and why has milk been so demonized? It's because there's an agenda. And now they're on to meat and chickens and everything else. So, but a cow, you, you put this food that humans can eat into a cow, Cow's a processing plant, it'll produce milk, or it produces beef, uh, meat, which humans can consume. So an animal, a chicken, or they're basically processing plants. They're basically labs that God's already created. Now they're coming out with these man-made labs. I'm like, this is, there again. I mean, Satan really is taking us as fools. He is so taking us as fools. And the part that concerns me is, that's the reason you can understand why science has taken on this this feel of like almost a God. And over science is true. Well, we're just going to do the science, you know, with some of these facts. I'm like, well, just do the science. I'm good with that. <laughs> just do it, you know, but they're not doing the science. They're using the name. We're going to just do the science. But so what happens is we know now today that science to some is a God. They're, you know, say, well, we're atheists, but we believe in the science. And, and true science, the idea of true science is that if you come up with a project or a paper on a scientific thing that you have discovered, then you put it out there so everybody can critique it. Yeah, yeah and, every, and everybody will say, well, what about this? What about, in other words, you think that you're going into a match where nobody likes your paper and everybody's telling you how, how wrong you are. But the truth is the way true science works, that's what keeps hammering out the truth. You say, you're supposed to be able, and that's the whole idea of, of, of America with freedom of speech. When you stand up and speak, or if we're a church, don't get your feelings hurt when people attack it. That's part of being free. That's what it is. It's part of being free. And that's the reason I'll stand up here and I will fight for the right of a homosexual to be one. Boy, my, I went down on some scales there. I will. If he doesn't have the right to say that, I don't have the right to say what I'm saying. That just so happens what we're saying with God should be the greater. But if we lack the power and the presence of Christ in our message, guess what? It's going to look like an equal or even a lesser. So when Christianity in the marketplace looks like the lesser, we're missing this We're missing it. To say what's right without the breath of God renders it powerless. Can you hear me? So as a church, we can say what's right, but if we don't have the on us, which is the presence of God, the truth that we carry will be of no effect. That's the difference in us than someone else. So I have found people that would fight for the Word of God, but they'd never read it. 
Let us fight for it. Let us speak for it. When we speak it forth, do we have this attitude of being just a smart aleck? I'm right and you're wrong. Or are our words empowered by The Christian is the only one that can interpret what I just said. But when you feel it and you see it and you sense it, we're living in a day that those that walk and carry the breath of God can easily, easily be detected by the world versus those that do not carry the breath of God. How do you know you're carrying the breath of God? Is that your words bring life. I pray that Yahweh will never be the same in your life after today. And this house of prayer said, amen. amen and amen. Now listen, if we pull it off, that breath will draw people here, not hearing a physical word. And the key to, the key is you don't have to move your lips or your tongue. What that means is the presence of God goes before you. If you think your words are going to convert the world, we need to talk. It's the presence of God in your life that will convert the world. And I'll be honest with you, I'm coming up short, but I know the truth. The Word says it'll set me free. So I'm going to be free this morning as we worship God together. Let's worship. Let's worship using the breath of God. Let's worship using his name. You know, I'm even suspicious it stirs some angels up. We got some angel people here, people that sees angels. And I'll try to get us a, perhaps an angelic report of what's going on. So Lord Jesus, bless us this day. As we go into our worship, as we go into here, uh, Brother Stephen List, bring a word from your throne to us today. We pray for him that he'll be anointed. We pray for him, Lord, I pray for Stephen that he'll say things he's never said before because he heard them at the same time we did. We pray, Lord, that you'll fill his heart. Give him a blank slate in which to read and an open heart with heaven. Anoint our worship, anoint our day. I thank you for those that are here, for those that are watching online, and we bless them. And Lord, we're so appreciative that you found us. We so appreciate that you found us in our sin and in our way, and you set our feet on the solid rock this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.